Mm. Kia ora. I am so happy that I get to introduce to you a brand new series in the book of 1 Peter called Trial by Fire. And um, you may have seen the intro video to this series that Simon recorded. Simon talks in that intro video about a tree trunk with um, fat rings and thin rings. The thin rings he talks about are from the difficult years that the tree goes through. Maybe the really cold winters or the, I don't know what other things are difficult for trees, but whatever difficult things come trees way, that's what produces the thin rings. And, um, but that's where the strength comes from for a tree. The strength comes from those thin rings. And Simon talks in the video about how it's so similar to our experiences that while it's not pleasant and while we may crave comfort, these hard times are the things that strengthen us and strengthen our faith. And we know that um, in this life, this side of Jesus returning, we will always have trials and difficulties. Even as followers of Jesus, we don't escape them. In fact, I think the Bible actually says that as followers of Jesus, we should expect persecution even more. And we also know that um, the Bible talks about um, considering these sufferings with joy. It says in the book of James, to consider it pure joy when we face trials of many kinds. I wonder how many of us are nailing that right now. I don't believe that God has in mind for us to simply endure the trials, just consoling ourselves with the idea that we're growing thin rings in our trunk. What we read of in 1 Peter is a way to live with hope and joy, even in the midst of trials. And so I'm so looking forward to seeing how the Holy Spirit would minister to us as we journey through this series, um, how we might transfer, transform our hearts um, yeah, as we go through this series that we're calling Trial by Fire. As I said before, um, we're looking at the letter called 1 Peter, and um, in 1 Peter, Peter addresses um, Christians dispersed across multiple areas in an area that's now modern-day Turkey. And these provinces were ethnically diverse, um, yet all these territories were firmly under Roman control. And Peter calls them exiles. And it, they may literally have been exiles, but it's more likely that Peter is speaking figuratively, um, talking about them being spiritual exiles, awaiting their heavenly inheritance. And so I think we can really easily take comfort from the words of this letter, not only because it's in the Bible and God has given us the Bible to reveal himself and his will and his purposes for our lives. But actually because I think our situations and the persecution and the trials that we experience are actually not too dissimilar from those that the original readers of this letter were facing. You see, we may think they were facing um, significant physical persecution, and certainly Christians in the Bible did face physical persecution, but actually the persecution that's mostly focused on in 1 Peter is verbal, verbal abuse and pressure and discrimination that they receive because of their Christian commitment. And so as we live in a multicultural society, just like they did, as we're governed by a secular government, just like them, as we live as spiritual exiles in this world, 
knowing this is not our home, just like them. As we live in a society that criticises our beliefs and pressures us to change our beliefs and our behaviours to be more like everyone else, just like them, this letter is so relevant for us. And Peter's goal is super clear from the beginning of this letter that he wants to encourage his readers. And he does so by reminding them how outrageously amazing our salvation is through Jesus Christ. I want to tell you a story. I've got some friends who have a whippet for a pet. It's a kind of dog if you don't know what that is. One day a few years ago, an elderly neighbour of theirs knocked on the door with a gift for them. And the neighbour's wife had died a couple of years before and he was sorting through her things and he found a statue of two whippets and he thought my friends might like them because of their dog. Um, Well, they were quite surprised, but they politely accepted the statue. It wasn't exactly the style of ornament they would normally have in their home, but they were touched by the kind gesture of the neighbour and they put it up on the bookshelf. Well, a week later, their neighbour came to the front door again, but this time with a bottle of wine. And his daughter was apparently very upset that he had given this statue away, as it was her mum's favourite. And so the neighbour very apologetically asked if he could possibly take the statue back in exchange for the bottle of wine. So, of course, that was fine. (laughs) And my friends went and got the statue off the shelf and gave it back to him and um, enjoyed the wine, no doubt. (laughs) The neighbour went on to explain that he and his wife had bought the statue in Paris many years before, and it was actually worth (laughs) $60,000. They had kept a $60,000 statue just sitting on their bookshelf for a week, and they had no idea. I wonder if we are sometimes a little underwhelmed by our salvation because we don't realise the value of what we have. And if I was to ask you to describe your salvation, I wonder what some of the things that you would say were. You know, I think many of us would say, oh, salvation means I've been forgiven for my sin and I'll go to heaven when I die. And those are incredible things. But Peter gives us so much more than that in this passage. And so we're going to start today in 1 Peter 1, verses 1 to 12. And we're going to unpack some of what Peter describes as this outrageous, incredible, amazing salvation that we have through Jesus. And we're going to talk about it as we read through. So it's going to be on the screen, but I want to encourage you, if you do have a Bible handy, it might be helpful for you to open it so you can refer back to what I'm talking about. And um, yeah, we're just going to talk it through as we go. So let's start in um, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1. It says this, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia and Bithynia who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Now all Peter is meant to be doing here is just writing the introduction to his letter. But it's like he can't hold his excitement back about this great salvation that we have in Jesus. He starts um, pretty typically, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. 
But then his excited description of the salvation we have begins. His next words are, to God's elect. And then he goes on to say, who have been chosen. He's saying, God has picked you out as his own. Do you remember in those days at school, in PE, lining up, waiting to be picked for a sports team, (laughs) where you just wondered, is it going to be me next? He's saying, the God of the universe has picked you. He's chosen you. You are chosen. Then he says, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit. You see, when you put your faith in Jesus, he gave you the Holy Spirit, who has set you apart, and he's declared you as holy, and he's at work in your life every day to make you holy. You are set apart. He then says to be obedient to Jesus Christ. Did you know that part of why you were chosen was to be obedient to Jesus? That was a purpose of you being chosen. That was an intended outcome. Obedience to Jesus is like a doorway into life as it's meant to be. If we were obedient to Jesus in every moment of our lives, you and I would experience the life that he created us to live. I think we often think of obedience as such a drag, right? But I actually believe that obedience to Jesus is an incredible part of the salvation that Jesus has purchased for us. We're no longer slaves to sin, but we're free to live in obedience to Jesus. So you are called to obey Jesus. And then finally, he says, sprinkled with his blood. This is kind of the one that's a bit strange, right? I can feel myself excited about all the others, but I don't know if I want to be sprinkled by someone's blood. But this is the confirmation in the Bible of a covenant. If we um, look back to the covenant that, that God made with Moses and his people through Moses, the blood represents the sealing of that covenant. So you can look it up. It's in Exodus 24, and verses 7 to 8 say this. Then he took... So this is Moses. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it to the people. And they responded, we will do everything the Lord has said. We will obey. That was the people um, playing their part in the covenant, right? Making their commitment. Then Moses then took the blood, sprinkled it on the people and said, this is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. God's part, his sealing of the covenant was the sprinkling of blood. And it just blows my mind that you can then see the similarities when Jesus, at the Last Supper with his disciples, says, he holds the the wine and he says, this is the blood of the new covenant. It was God's sealing of this covenant that he has with us. So when Peter says that we're sprinkled with his blood, he's reminded us that we're entered into a covenant with God where he will do what he said he will do. So what did he say what he'll do? Well, he says he'll do a lot of things, but one thing that I just want to pick out is here in Romans 10, verses 9 and verse 13. It says this, If you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And then verse 13, Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. He said that if you believe in him, he'll save you. It's pretty incredible. And so you are secure in his covenant. 
Our salvation is amazing. Right at the end of today's passage, in verse 12, it says that even, even angels long to look into these things. And I was thinking about that verse, thinking it's weird, but just thinking that actually this salvation is so incredible that even the angels long to look into it. It's mind-blowing what God has done for us. As I want to challenge you today, as you read the Bible for yourselves, notice what are all the things that are yours through salvation in Jesus Christ. Simon was speaking last Sunday and I just jotted a note down in my Bible because he was talking about Ephesians 1 verse 3 that says, um, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. That's one of the things that's mine because of salvation. And so I wonder as you read the Bible, what are all the things that are yours because of salvation? Start writing them down. Start taking notice of them that we would realise how incredible salvation is. You see, salvation is more complete than we realise. Salvation is more complete than we realise. Peter also wants us to realise that Our salvation is more certain than we could ever hope for it to be. I spoke on these next few verses on Easter Sunday. So if you really want to soak yourself in what these verses say, I'd encourage you to go back and listen to that Easter Sunday message. But I'm going to take us on a super quick walk through the certainty of our salvation through Peter's eyes here. So we're going to read verses three to five. It says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. You might feel a bit bombarded by this next section, so I'm just going to give you a warning there. But I actually think that's how Peter has written these verses. It's like he's layering truth upon truth upon truth upon truth because he wants you to know your salvation is certain. Your salvation is certain. So it starts with mercy. Salvation is in his great mercy. Mercy means giving undeserved kindness or forgiveness. And so our salvation is not reliant on you deserving it. By definition, you don't deserve it. It's in his great mercy. He has given us new birth. It says that salvation is initiated by him. We never congratulate a baby on being born. It's the, it's the person who gave birth to them that we congratulate, right? Our new birth is not dependent on us. It's God that initiates it. That new birth, it says, is into a living hope. Biblical hope is a confident and certain expectation. And Peter doesn't leave it as just hope. He says it's a living hope. It's like it's alive and it's breathing. It's the most hopeful kind of hope that we could ever hope for. That new birth is into an inheritance that will never perish, spoil or fade. Unlike everything else we know on this earth, our inheritance, which is salvation, can't be destroyed. It can't perish. It can't fade. It's indestructible. 
That inheritance is kept in heaven for us. It's the safest place that anyone could ever keep something. And it says you are shielded by God's power until Jesus comes. Shielded is a military term. It means God is literally guarding you. Your salvation is guaranteed. So salvation is more complete than we realise. Salvation is more certain than we could hope for. And salvation fills us with joy, even through trials. Let's read verses 6 to 7. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. I think we sometimes think that um, joy is the absence of grief. But it talks here about it coexisting. Like there can be joy even in the middle of pain. And it made me think about um, a rainbow. There's a rainbow. What we, um, you know, a rainbow isn't only beauty in the middle of rain. A rainbow actually can only exist because of the rain. And because of the sun, the beauty comes. And I think what we see in the Bible is a joy that's actually sometimes not possible to experience separate from trials. We'd love it if we could, though, wouldn't we? You know, we love comfort as humans. Imagine if you could grow stronger without the discomfort of challenging your muscles. Imagine if you could run further and faster without the pain of pushing through. Imagine if you could get great exam results without the discipline of hard work and study. I've just recently heard about how much cold plunges are good for your health. And so I've been um, heading into the ocean three times a week for four minutes at a time, just up to my neck. But it's unpleasant. (laughs) And if I could get the health benefits without going in the water, I would, right? We would always choose the good result without the discomfort, if that was possible. But these verses talk about the good that comes out of the trials. It talks about the proven genuineness of your faith that is the product of those trials. It says that that proven, genuine faith is of greater worth than gold. Because even after gold is refined in the fire, it still perishes. But your faith doesn't perish. Your your faith is here to stay. And so the fire of trials proves it to be genuine. Your faith is remarkable. It goes on to say in verses 8 to 9, though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. You know, Peter walked and talked with Jesus, but he's saying to the readers of this letter, you've loved him and believed in him without even seeing him. It's remarkable. And I think... You know, it's helpful for us to understand the good that comes from the trials that we walk through. But that's not what brings us joy. 
You know, knowing what trials produces in us is helpful to give us context. I think it might be helpful to keep us hopeful in the middle of the trial. But what Peter says will bring you joy is the salvation that you have received as a result of your faith. The thing that will bring you joy in the trial is focusing on the salvation that is yours because of your faith in Jesus Christ. I have a friend who's going through a long and really hard trial. She's gathered around herself a group of women that she can reach out to at any time and she can ask her questions and she can voice her frustrations with God. She can voice her disappointments and her celebrations. And you know what those women do for her? We pray for her and we cry with her and we celebrate with her. But most importantly, we refocus her on Jesus and who he is and what she has in him. You know, her faith through this trial is being proved genuine. And her Christian community around her are cheering her on, reminding her of the salvation that is hers. The place we will get joy from is not looking at the trials or trying to understand the trials, but it comes from looking to Jesus and understanding how complete and how secure our salvation in him is. That is the joy of salvation. And so whether you're experiencing trials right now or not, I know you will. Every one of us does. But I also know that every one of us needs a greater revelation of the salvation that we have in Jesus. And so let me pray. Let me pray for all of us that, that God would reveal more of his salvation in our hearts that whether we're going through trials or not, that we would know the incredible joy of his salvation. Lord Jesus, we want to say thank you. Thank you for the salvation that we have in you. It's remarkable. It's greater than we know. It's more certain than we realise, God. It's so incredible. And I want to say sorry um, sorry for becoming familiar Sorry for walking through life not realising just the incredible gift that our salvation is. And I pray for each one of us today, whether we are going through trials right now or not, I pray that by your spirit as we look to Jesus, that you would remind us of our salvation. You would remind us of how incredible it is and that you would restore the joy of our salvation to our hearts today. Lord, we love you and we're so grateful to you. Thank you. Thank you for saving us. In Jesus' name, amen.